0: Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. In today's episode, you'll hear the redemptive story of author Mary DeMuth. Mary's story is a testimony of Jesus' ability to restore a broken life and make it whole again. As a child of three divorces, a victim of sexual assault at age five, a father who died when she was 10, Mary wanted to end her life in her teens. But in the 10th grade, she heard about Jesus, and she knew she wanted to chase after him for the rest of her life. Mary's story invites you to a deeper understanding of your own story. She calls you to discover the new ways to look for God in the past so that you might experience Him more profoundly in the present. Okay, well, let's get started, Mary. Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Again, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. It's been my pleasure, or not been, it will be my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. That's right. And there's so many things I could use to um, introduce you. You're an author, a podcaster, a speaker, and an artist, which you have some, which I didn't even realize till today, looking at your website, that you have some really neat artwork. Um, So all of those things are kind of your formal introduction. Would you mind giving us just kind of a brief intro about, um, I don't know, you, your family, those sort of things? Sure. I live in Texas, and I've got three adult children, um, a
1: very dysfunctional chocolate lab, and a little black kitty cat, and a husband. And the husband's been around for 29 years, so we're excited about that. And uh, we both work from home. I'm a full-time author and speaker, and um, yeah, I like to garden, and I love to cook, and uh, as you mentioned, I also love to paint, which has been a lot of fun lately.
0: Yeah, and I, I wonder, too, is the if the painting was part of your probably your therapy and the road that you've, the journey that you've been on to healing? Um, actually, no. It's no? just okay. something I've picked up recently,
1: and uh, I decided to do uh, one piece of art every day for Lent, and I started that about four or five years ago, and it's just been every year that's what I've done to kind of commemorate the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus.
0: I love that. And at the end of the show, we'll list where you can, um, people can look at your artwork and purchase it on etsy if they're interested but there's some definite neat pieces there for um framing and hanging so well we'll get back um to that but let's go ahead and start with your story as i mentioned you're an author and you have 30 plus books correct that you've written
1: yeah, my fortieth comes out. Oh my in goodness! August. Wow, is that not the
0: craziest thing. That is. I need is... to update
1: that on my site.
0: Okay, yeah, because that's what I saw on your site that it said yeah. thirty books. So I and I am. Ex- I've read a couple of them this last month, and I am um, definitely looking forward to reading more because they're all. I want to say all very different. There there are fiction and nonfiction, um, so they're different, but along some similar themes, right? That's true. And um, I started off my journey of a, as a writer, as a
1: full, just a novelist. I um, only wanted to write stories. And um, through a series of events, God just kind of opened the door for me to write nonfiction. And now I write more nonfiction than I write fiction, which kind of cracks me up, actually. It's interesting how that works out.
0: Yeah. So what was one of your first nonfiction? Was it in Places, your memoir, or No.
1: No, it was a little devotional for moms called Ordinary Mom, Extraordinary
0: God with Harvest House back in like 2004, 2005. Okay, so Thin Places, what I just mentioned, is your memoir. And that's what I recently read that really tells your story, that and not marked. Um, So that's what we kind of will be diving into today. And as you say... Your story is full of deep wounds, and it it really is. Some of your stories just it's hard to read because it's hard just to imagine a child going through what you went through. But statistics show that too many kids have a similar journey in their childhood. So can you just take us back, uh, just wherever you feel like the best is to start with your story? I don't know if that's when you're age five and um, what happens then, or if it's before that. Yeah. So I
1: did grow up in a home I didn't want to duplicate later when I was a grown-up. I often felt unnoticed and unseen. Uh, My mom and dad were married because my mom got pregnant. Um, She was a one of my dad's students in college. So that was awesome. And um, they soon got a divorce. My mom remarried somebody who was violent and angry. And then she divorced him and she remarried another man. And uh, during that second marriage was when uh, we lived in a really dangerous neighborhood. There was a lot of drugs and stealing and it was super unsafe. And that was also the year where um, I went to a babysitter's house after school every day, like during half day kindergarten. And these two teenage boys would knock on her back door when they got back from school in the afternoon and they would take me out. And there was just no, there was no grooming or anything like that. There was Mm. no like, Oh, we're going to try to ease her into this. They just did it. And, Mm. um, it was in, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So was in this really scary park with these gigantic evergreen trees and I was in ravines and kind of in the outskirts of the park and I could see people walking by while it was happening and just no one would notice no one would take care to find me and this continued for a really long time so um They, of course, threatened to kill my parents if I told anyone, and they used a really bad word to describe what they were doing, and I was afraid to say that word, and I also was afraid that if I said anything, my parents would be killed, and I didn't want to be responsible for that, but eventually they started inviting more people to join mm. in. And, um, this would happen in that crazy park, but also in their home while their mom was in the other room making cookies. I specifically remember boy scout uniforms. And to this day, I can't, I just can't, I couldn't even have my son do it because mm. I just like, I can't. And, um, I finally realized I, there's no way out of this. I've got to tell someone. So and
0: how long did it go on before you told? Because you many, were. Many, many months. Oh, Mary, I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, so this was most of the kindergarten year that this went on. And then I finally told my babysitter. And it's odd to me that I told her and I didn't feel safe telling my parents, which kind of shows you the kind of home I was raised in. Um, I was more apt to tell this woman who really didn't like me and was a chain smoking, angry woman who kept pushing me out into the clutches of these boys. I felt more safe telling her than anybody else in my life. I told her and she said, well, I'll tell your mom. And I believed her. So the next day when the boys knocked on the door again, she let me go with Mm. them. And I thought, I thought my mom knows and she doesn't care and so at that point I realized I I don't know why I realized this I was just a little kid I was only five but I realized this was gonna be the end of me if I kept let it kept happening So I decided no one was going to protect me. So I would sleep in the babysitter's bed and I had no, I was a little kindergartner, so I didn't have any concept of time. So all I knew is that sometime after my lunch, those boys would come, but I didn't know if it was an hour or two hours or three hours. And so I would finish my lunch really fast. I would run into her bedroom and I would take a pretend nap for hours until my mom picked me up. And thankfully she was super, um, lazy. And so she couldn't be bothered with waking me up. And I would not wake up. I just kept my eyes scrunched shut and uh, did not. And so at the end of that year, we moved away, um, pretty far away from where those boys were. And I felt like I was saved, you know, from their clutches. But I constantly felt like there were all these predators chasing me. And I spent the rest of my childhood running away from... Some not so savory, you know, so sort of unsavory individuals who uh, were bent on taking more from me. Thankfully, I didn't have that story again. Um, some pretty
0: close calls, uh, but but well, yeah. And you share in your book. You share both of those things in your book. There's a chapter on running, feeling like you're always running from a predator, but then also feeling marked. Um, that people people knew that that had happened and they were after like so like you said you had some other incidences because you just felt like being marked like you were marked share a little bit about that just that feeling of being marked
1: yeah I kind of just felt like I had been damaged so much that there was some sort of like that predators had a black light and I had this fluorescent mark on my forehead and they could see it Mm. and um they just kind of would find me um a random guy cleaning the stalls of our barn we had horses um a, a babysitter uh just uh, unsavory men or kids around you know different people's houses and yeah so i really felt broken by it all and i felt like you know i was just going to be a target for the rest of my life right. or that i had you know somehow put out some sort of vibe about it. And really, I think I was just super vulnerable as an only child and in a home where I wasn't really noticed. So I had to really advocate for myself growing up, which was, you know, I mean, it makes you grow up super fast. (laughs) And I did grow up really
0: fast. Right. And like you said, you were very vulnerable. I mean, predators, sexual predators look for children that seem vulnerable or alone or quiet. And so you weren't marked, but you may have had um, been in situations that were more open to that. Did you feel like it was your fault too? Did you carry that shame that like you had done something wrong? I didn't. You and didn't. That, was, that was a huge blessing for yeah. me.
1: Um, a lot of people don't have that experience. I knew that what those boys did to me was wrong and that they were bad and evil. And I knew I did nothing to deserve it. And that was a huge gift that God gave me. As I look back on my story, I see that, um, you know, that just was a huge gift.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, I look at when looking at your story, um, I worked for years at a sexual abuse prevention agency out of college. So I'm when I hear your story, when I read your story, I'm just ugh, shocked that the adults didn't see signs that those oh, boys, you pretty, this, you're pretty I'm sure pretty that they sure did. They saw signs. Okay. I'm, I'm about 100 <sighs> percent sure that they did. They just ignored them or they uh, didn't care. Even more, even more tragic that that could possibly happen, but it does. Um, and so share what some of the just for uh, for other people, share what some of those signs are. I mean, I know the signs, but share what some signs would be from a child that is being sexually abused that aren't maybe aren't huge red flags, but are some, some signs to look out for.
1: Yeah, I, um, I was a really good little kid. Mm. I was very obedient. I wanted to please my teacher, and all of a sudden I was getting bad marks in cooperation and Mm -hmm. I wasn't obeying in school. It was a huge personality shift for me. That's not how I normally am. Even today, I'm just not that way. I'm a real compliant person. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a huge change in personality and the teacher even called the attention, that attention to my mom and nobody really figured that out. Um, I'm sure that there was physical, there had to have been physical evidence because of the nature of what they were doing. And so there would have been You know, evidence in the laundry of what had been going on, and I don't remember like hiding that. I'm pretty sure I just put my um, underwear in the laundry bin, and so it was there. And so, of course, if you notice some changes there, that would be one of those things. Um, My, I was terrified all the time as well. I had night terrors. I uh, had nightmares. Um, I was deeply afraid of death, and. Um, extremely scared all the time and so there was that kind of element that you know everything had rocked my world
0: so I just didn't feel safe. Right. So you had some big red flags, Um, but I think it is important for people to know and that I will list, I plan to list those because I think it is important for adults to be able to recognize those signs um, in children. And if a child tells you, you believe them. So your babysitter blew it off. Obviously, she did not tell your mom, but you believe that she had and that your mom just didn't care. Exactly. So then in my life, I was like, wow, there's just nobody that's
1: going to take care of me. And so it's up to me, really. And that's a really great way to cope in terms of taking care of yourself. I didn't do the learned helplessness thing. I I actually learned how to take care of myself. Um, But that has its repercussions later in life when you are way too capable for the Lord to make His way into your life. Like, right. it's hard to let Him take control because you're so used of
0: used to kind of man- managing your own needs. Right, and you weren't healing at all from this abuse, and we'll talk about that later. How that starts, that seeps into your marriage and so many aspects of your life um, when you didn't have the healing from that. So that abuse ended when you moved, but your life still was not an easy childhood at that point. You dealt with um, several other things. Can you talk about that a little bit and then we 'll come back to the bu- the abuse and the healing that took place and meeting Jesus and that yeah, so we moved around a lot we had
1: um we, we were in i was in unsafe situations I was coming home every day to an empty house and One of the houses that we lived in um, had been vandalized really terribly. Now I understand that there was some sort of like drug deal that went wrong. And so that was like a penalty or someone being harmed for not following through on a deal. Um, So that was scary. It was really, really frightening for me. And um, I, I, I just... Yeah. I mean, just the moving around and trying to make new friends was also really hard for me. And then when I was 10 years old, um, I was at, in fifth grade, I got a call down to the office. And as I was walking down the hallway, I remember the pattern of the bricks on the wall, which is super weird. I recent, I went back there, not recently, but a while back. And it was like, oh yeah, those are the pattern. That's exactly what I remember. But, um, so I, As I'm walking down the hallway, I realize my dad's dead. They hadn't said Mm. anything in the intercom, but I just knew it. So I get to the office. All the office ladies are crying. My mom takes me into her car, and she says, Your dad is dead. And my first response is, Which one? Because Mm. by that time, I had had three. And even though I knew it was my biological dad, and she said who it was, and then she ended up buying me a calculator that day, which is super weird. Uh, But back then, um, a pocket calculator was a new thing. This shows how old I am. And nobody had one. And so my mom, to kind of help me with my grief, I guess, she took me and got me one. And so... Uh, you know, in the book, I think I said something like I was the only girl in my fifth grade class with a calculator, but no father. And so that was hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it just shows to your own mother how wounded she was, like, she didn't know how, how to comfort you and be there for you. But that is what continued, though, to be so hard for you just feeling like, She didn't care. You didn't matter as you grew up because she pretty much did not even acknowledge your grief in that and kind of told you to move on and don't be upset about it.
1: Exactly. And that, that continued for, um, you know, a few more months and I would cry myself to sleep and my mom would come up to my room and tell me to stop crying and that I should be over it by now. And, and it was just, I learned how to stuff, you know, you learn how to like not be too, Pain, you know, full of pain because people just can't handle it. So I learned
0: that and that was not easy. So then you get into your teen years and you talk about how that you, you struggled with porn. You were suicidal. You looked to material things to fill you. You had all of those things that you were looking towards, right?
1: Yes, I was lost. Uh, um, and I was, Uh, writing suicide poetry I was ready to take my life Mm. and really really struggling with why was I on this earth except to be neglected or abused and so that that was really hard um and I literally knew nothing about Jesus. All I knew was that he was a swear word. I I did not know he had anything to do with Christmas or Easter. I knew zero. That's yes. what I was
0: going to ask you, because you don't yeah. talk about him in the book until you're introduced to him. So I didn't know if that was something kind of woven in your childhood at all. But no, you knew nothing about Jesus.
1: Literally. Well, I had one experience in like the fourth or fifth grade. Maybe it was more towards sixth grade, where my grandmother, who never goes to church, said that I had to be baptized. Hmm. And so, in order for me to be baptized, I had to go to this church and I had to go to Sunday school one time. And so I remember going to that Sunday school class and loving it and asking my mom, please let me go back to that Sunday school class. And they, you know, they, it was a sprinkle baptism. So they did that. And I remember at the party afterward, my uncle came up to me and said, well, aren't you happy? You're not going to go to hell now. Mm. And I thought, well, I didn't know what hell was. It sounded pretty bad. And so I felt Better that okay, well, I just got my get out of hell free card, <laughs> that magic water, um, but I didn't know what it meant and I didn't know anything about it. But I did still have that longing to go to church and just I, I remember begging my mom, please mm. let me go back, and she she did not want me to do that, so that didn't happen because you know as a little kid you don't have any control over where you go or anything like that.
0: Right. So then at fifteen though, some, someone invited you somewhere. Tell about that. Is that fifteen is when that happened?
1: Yeah, I was about 14, um, and I was a ninth grader, and uh, yeah, 14, 15, and um, someone invited me to Young Life, And uh, it was a friend of mine who'd had a really hard story. And she said, you know, I think you'd really enjoy this. There's a lot of like goofy stuff that goes on and and there's really great kids there and you'll have fun. And I thought, okay, that's fine. So I went and it was goofy and it was fun. Um, There was music, but at the last 15 minutes of every club, they would talk about Jesus. And every time they did, I was ready. I was so ripe, Mm. I was ready to jump into his arms. And it uh, took about a year. I went to a weekend camp um, up there in the Northwest, and I heard the gospel from A to Z. And interestingly enough, um, the moment that I met Jesus, um, I went outside to pray, and it was nighttime, it was dark, and I sat under an evergreen tree, which mm-hmm. I didn't realize at the time, but it was pretty symbolic of the, my greatest violation was underneath yes. these giant evergreen trees. And here I was under another evergreen tree praying and asking God to please take care of me. So, um, I'm,
0: uh, I- I'm so grateful. <laughs> I'm just so grateful that I'm to meet him. The symbolism there is incredible. So would you consider that? And that's what I wanted to touch on too, is the title of your memoir is thin places. And you just describing that moment, that is a thin place, the evergreen tree, but then you meeting Jesus under that evergreen tree. Can you talk a little bit what you mean about, like I just said, but just a little deeper about what you mean with the thin places, the title of your book and what you share throughout your book, the different thin places?
1: Yeah, so that's a um, that's a Celtic term that means a place on earth where the presence of God is is tangibly felt. Mm-hmm. And what they mean by thin places is um, these are like specific locations, like geographical locations where the veil between heaven and earth is really thin. You can almost see through and experience God in that place. So I use that as a metaphor in the book of just the times in my life where God came near. And a lot of those are not like awesome times. God came near in some of the most desperate times of my life. And, um, I'm
0: so grateful for that. And that's what I love about your book. I mean, you're brutally honest, just about those really hard times where it could be really hard to see Jesus, but he uses those times for us to grab on and feel close to him. And, um, the symbolism I love with that evergreen tree. So you accepted Jesus then, and then did your life change? Was that a gradual? I mean, I'm sure your mom wasn't so accepting of that and you're still living with your mom. So how did that, how did your life go after that? Yeah. I was
1: one of those like junior Billy Grahams the moment I became a Christian. (laughs) So I was like, I was going to save my mom from hell. Right. (laughs) So I went home and I talked to her about Jesus. I started crying. You don't want to go to hell, do you mom? You know, just all that stuff. (laughs) And she really did not share my zeal for Jesus (laughs) to put it mildly. Um, she, at that moment, uh, something happened between us. We never had a good relationship, but it became really bad at that moment. And Mm -hmm. there was just this kind of spiritual Darkness uh, and kind of spiritual warfare that happened from that moment on, uh, where she just did not want to know anything about that. She was convinced I was in a cult. She was upset and angry. And, you know, it's kind of weird because most parents <laughs> would be like, well, cool. You right. Know, you, you know, and a lot of like Christian parents would be like, woohoo, that's right. awesome. My mom was really mad. And so immediately when I told her the persecution began in my own home. So I have a huge soft spot for people around the world who, um, meet Jesus, like maybe in a Muslim setting or something or a Hindu setting. And they become ostracized from their families because from that moment on, it was not easy. Now I wasn't killed for my faith or anything like that, but it did give me a very high um, empathy for anyone that that their decision to follow Christ would affect their family relationships.
0: Yeah, I cannot even imagine because your mom is the one person you should be able to go to and get that encouragement and feel safe. So did that put a damper on your faith or did your faith continue to grow in the Lord? How did you sort that out as a, young, as a teenager? Uh, thankfully,
1: I think because I've been so radically loved and radically saved by Jesus and I was so hungry for him, it did not um, dissuade me. It just caused me to run to him even more. And I did have some good people in my life. I joined a church right away and um, the Young Life uh, leaders also had campaigners, which is like a discipleship Bible study. So I had some good leaders in my life who helped me to grow in Christ. And I, I really grew fast and, um, and just, I was just so excited about Jesus. So it actually didn't affect it negatively,
0: negatively, which is which is good. And again, showing the importance of adults that are in teen ministry and the leaders for children that don't have that support at home, that that literally is what kept you. And I mean, the one person inviting you to young life and then your leader is just encouraging and supporting you was life changing for you. So at that point, had you ever, had you told anybody else about your sexual abuse? Because, okay, you're saved, you're a new creation in Christ, but you still had not healed from the sexual abuse. Had you told anybody about it at that point? Um, Only after I became a Christian was I
1: brave enough to tell anyone. So that was a silent secret for 10 years. Wow.
0: Um,
1: And I did. Oddly, the first person I told was my mom. And uh, I was not believed. And so Mm. I had to tell the story about seven or eight times to convince her that it was true. And I was so desperate to be healed from all of it that um, I, I had. I needed her to believe me. And when she didn't, I still needed her to. And right. so I just kept at her and finally she got it. And, um, but unfortunately her, uh, and, and I think it was a good solution. And on the surface, her solution was to try to find me counseling, which would have been good, but I was so brand new in the, in the faith that I was terrified of having, a non-Christian counselor who might steer me away from Jesus. And so I just didn't avail myself to that at that time. But I think her intention was good. I think she finally realized what had happened. And then I also shared eventually um, about a year later with some of my Young Life leaders or my, you know, whichever youth pastor that I had, because, um, I, I desperately wanted to get well. I didn't want to have this be my story for the rest of my life. And I was deeply broken. I was terrified of guys. I was, I would have this pattern of a boy would like me and I would, I would be desperate for that boy. I'd write his name on notebooks. You know what you do in seventh and eighth and ninth grade, Mm -hmm. grade, and then he would like me back and then I would retreat and be terrified. And, um, I just I I couldn't have a relationship with a guy I was just petrified and and
0: um completely immobilized by it. So how did you, I know your healing began when you told the story. One of your quotes is the healing came when I chose to no longer be silent. When I decided it was time to tell my story, ask for prayer, and trust God to heal me. What used to be a shameful, scary story is now a testimony of a restoried life. So that's what I want to talk about going forward is this idea of a restory and re- recreating your past story into a new story in Christ and how you did that and how that is part of your healing process. Yeah, you're right.
1: I mean, I think the healing began when I started sharing with other Christ followers what had happened. And I happened to encounter safe people. I didn't realize I was encountering safe people. I'm utterly grateful that I did. Uh, that's not always someone's story. They, they, like, you know, when I told my mom uh, that a lot of times that's what people's story remains is that they'll tell one person they get shut down and then they stop sharing. Right. And so, um, for me, I, I really have empathy for people who have that experience too, you know, of, Oh my gosh, uh, I am unbelieved mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really painful. Or there's, you know, those questions that people ask you, well, what did you do? Or what did you wear? Why did that happen? Or right. why didn't you run away? Why didn't you scream? Why didn't all those, um, unhelpful things? Things that don't help anybody, especially if you're feeling like it was your fault some way, then those kinds of words just reinforce your feeling
0: of shame. Right. And it, I mean, is this true? I think I read this, that most young children don't tell anyway right off, right? They're scared. They're afraid something's going to happen. So that's not unusual for young children not to tell.
1: It was highly unusual that I did tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yes, you're right. The, the, the typical response is to they they don't know how they're too young they just don't have the tools to be able to process it correctly in like an intelligent detached way right and so they just keep it quiet and that's why we need to work on the statute of limitations laws throughout the country because most people usually don't report until if they were a little kid usually late 20s early 30s is a typical time well if you were five years old that's like 25 years after the offense and that's why sexual predators get away away with it for so long, especially pedophiles, because they um, kind of bank on kids not telling for years and years and years. By that time, they have over 100 victims. That's
0: what I was going to say. That is exactly why they have so many victims. And we look at that and we're shocked. But you're exactly right. That is why. And again, it's so important for adults to believe children if they tell them or to look for signs because they're most likely not going to tell them so if we are around children we need to know these signs and look for them so when you finally started telling people the lord surrounded you with safe people so kind of take your story from there and how you restored your story and what that means
1: well i i often point to that story where Jesus asks the paralytic, do you want to get well? Mm. And the lovely thing about that story is the paralytic never answers Jesus's question and Jesus heals him anyway. So Mm. it's not like a prerequisite that you have to want to get well to be well. But there is something in that statement, I think that is important that Jesus is asking. He's he's basically saying to all of us, do you want to stay in that same state you've always been in? Or do you want to be well? And um, I... You know, it's easier to stay broken and hurt and it's my easy place. That's what I know. I know dysfunction. That's my, that's how I grew up. I know chaos. That's how I grew up. It's my easy, healthy place for me. Weird. Um, that's, the, but it's what, why. you know, it's what, what you what know. I know. Yeah, exactly what I know. And so, um, part of me getting well was this dogged determination that, uh, I wanted to be healthy. I also really longed to be married and to have kids and to change the dynamic of my family history and to be a pioneer parent. And so part of that, was just, I had to be better in order to do that. And, um, And so, yes, I was grateful to run into these safe people, particularly in college, who prayed for me, a good church that prayed for me. And the lion's share of my healing happened during those four years of people just loving me, listening to me and
0: praying for me. Mm -hmm. And then you finally did. You did get married. You, You were healthier than you had been. You got married to what you describe as an amazing man that was so good for you. But as you got married, you realized like there was still more healing to be done. And as you became a mom, same thing. Share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit angry that I had to heal some more because, you know, you (laughs) kind of get to this threshold of like, okay, I'm done. Right. Let's move on. Yes. I don't, everyone have to revisit this again because this is dumb and it's painful and frustrating. And so, um, when my youngest or my eldest daughter reached five, which was the age I was sexually abused. Mm my world fell apart and I needed to get some counseling, which I did. And that was really helpful for me. Um, but it hit it kind of hit me like a, like a sack of bricks because I, again, I had kind of like washed my hands of the whole thing, like, okay, I'm done. And I kind of like washed my hands, like henceforth I am healed. And I never will revisit this again. And yet God had these extra layers to pull and he's still pulling them. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I think that's important for survivors to heal. It's important um, for them to hear it because they may feel like I I mean, I just got something yesterday from a girl who's like, "Uh, my friend told me I should be over this by now. And why is my journey so slow? And I feel bad that it's so slow. and, And I was like, you know what? You get to have your own trauma healing journey and it is long and it takes a very long time and we won't be healed. The side of heaven we will get healthier, but,
0: um, and I think that's so important for survivors to hear because I'm sure it can be, it can be discouraging to fought this battle for so long feel like you're healed and then old wounds come up again um, super discouraging because yeah. you think well
1: maybe not maybe none of that meant anything and we forget you know of course the onion analogy that it is a layer and so we're just getting at the root of things each time but still
0: it's so hard because you just think what the heck I thought I was done with this well and you share I think it was on your blog that I read that you actually went back and revisited the spot where the boys did that to you thinking that you were healed but it was just so traumatic for you to go back to that and open that wound again.
1: Yeah, there's a book out there called The Body Keeps the Score and it talks about how our bodies remember our trauma and I was like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I read it and I was grateful for it but I kind of like... (laughs) uh, naively dismissed it. Well, I went back to the place is the first time I've ever been back to that place where all those things happened to me. And I, you can see pictures of me like smiling in front of the evergreen tree, smiling in front of my tiny house where all the terrible things happened, smiling in front of the babysitter's house and where mm. the boys had been. And, um, but that night, uh, just an, like two hours later, after all of that had happened, I, I started throwing up and I couldn't stop and it was mm. like violent. It was so violent that I thought I would have to go to the hospital because I could not keep anything down. And it was so severe. I think my body just could not handle the memory of what had gone on. And so that was discouraging too. Cause I thought, Oh, I'm so healed, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it was right. like, no, my body still remembers some of that trauma and uh, I'm going to have to heed it and uh, just be more tender with myself
0: and it's, it, it is an ongoing process. Like you said, this side of heaven, we're not going to be completely healed. I mean, we are such works in progress, but the Lord is there for us through every step of it. If we let him, how, how did you make sense of your relationship with the Lord during this? Did you question like where, cause that is my hardest thing when I talked to her around, or when I worked with sexual abuse victims long ago, after call when I, like I said, when I worked there after college, like That is one of the hardest things for me to understand understand with God, like why these children are not protected. And how did you wrestle with that?
1: Yeah, of course I wrestled with it and I still do, yeah. um, because it's a big question and I don't think it has a simple answer. Of course I can go back to having good theology and knowing that a God who loves us is a God who gives us free will, which right. means that he gives good people free will and he gives bad people free will. And some people's free will is to abuse children. And that is awful. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, you know, people will say things like, oh, well, he was there when it was happening. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know God was He's everywhere, so of course that makes sense. But it's still hard for me to wrap my mind around it. As a good parent, if I knew that that was going on with my child, I would rescue them. Mm-hmm. And so, and, I, and I'm and i not all-knowing, but God is. And so I don't have an answer to that. I'm holding it in tension, and I understand that there will be justice in the end. And when we get to that point where every knee is bowed and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, everything is going to be made right. It may not be made right on this earth. And I cannot make my healing dependent on whether there's justice here on earth. I have to trust that the God of justice will enact his perfect justice and vengeance um, on the other side. And that does bring me a lot of hope. It doesn't help in the meantime, but I can look forward to that and know that my God does love the innocent and he does protect children. And in the end, nobody is going to pull the wool over the almighty God's eyes. He will um, pay people back for what they've done. So I would hate to be a child um, predator. I would hate to be an unrepentant pedophile because um, if, if, you know, let me just say, it's not going to go well for them.
0: Right. Absolutely. You're, you are a hundred percent correct. We can't get our minds around this on earth, but we know Jesus, they will, they will answer to him. And I think we can't, we can't just keep wrestling with that. We just have to know that they will answer to him and that God's love for us. And I think your passion with people having this, the re-story of finding Jesus in their story is another answer to that question. Uh, it doesn't end there. Jesus comes along and redeems our story and the awful things that happened to us. So part of your story and your healing is also writing a letter of forgiveness to the boys. Can you talk about that? You put that letter on your blog, which is so powerful. Tell me a little bit about you getting to that point to being able to write that and share that. Right. So, you know, I, first of all, before
1: I even talk about that, I just want to tell any listener out there, you get to have your own forgiveness journey in your time. Don't let anyone tell you, well, you should be forgiving by now, or you sh- you need to forgive and move on. And because that's such a highly personal journey and it's really hard to measure because there were times where I was, you know. 16 years old, a new Christian, I was making these broad declarations, I have forgiven everybody, Mm -hmm. but I had only just begun that journey. And, um, and so it wasn't until, you know, just a few years ago, I was able to write a letter like that, where I. I was able to say, I forgive you. But in the letter, if you read it, it's still full of the pain. I don't forget. I can't forget what they've done. They've ruined a part of me that will never be taken back or gotten back. And so that letter was not, um, it wasn't touchy feely, like, oh, I'm so much better now and I forgive you. And that's awesome. It's more like sin is bad, (laughs) enacted against me, harmed me. I have chosen to, chosen to forgive sinners because I am a sinner forgiven as well. Um, but it doesn't mean that I won't struggle or suffer.
0: Right. Yeah. You, you very, you're very honest in that letter about them hurting you. Um, and like you said, that doesn't, you doing that doesn't mean every survivor has to do that. We, they all, we all have our different paths of healing in that journey. Um, And so one of the other things I want to touch on too, there's so many parts of your stories and I am looking so forward to reading your other books because you do have just so, so much knowledge about mothering. And one of your issues that you had was just if you were going to be a good mom. And yesterday I actually listened to one of an old podcast you had done on the God Centered Mom podcast where you share with her how you just really really question like if your kids even knew that you loved him and if you were ever going to be a good enough mom and I'll tell you it was a story it was a podcast I needed to hear yesterday because mm. as mothers I think we all really struggle this just last weekend I was telling my husband I am just an awful mom like I am not a good mom like so I appreciated so much your honesty with that and can you just share a little bit about that part of your story as being a mom and being a good enough mom Right. I mean, you can imagine the fear that I had when I became a mom.
1: I I was terrified that I was going to repeat what had happened. And my biggest fear was that my children... Uh, wouldn't know that I love them. And that was like super paralyzing to me. Um, And so much so that I was like chasing after my children. I love you. I love you. I love you. And they were like, mom, stop it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just constantly worried that they would know that. And I had a couple things happen that really helped me. One was um, I had a friend come and visit me from another state while we were first moved to Texas. We're actually from the Seattle area, but we were in Texas. And I had that I had that fear that I was not a good mom and I hadn't even prayed it out loud. It's like one of those things that's just underneath your skin and in your heart, but mm-hmm. you don't say, Lord, I feel like I'm a bad mom. Please help me. I just didn't even know to pray about that. I just had this overwhelming pervasive feeling that I wasn't and that my kids didn't know I love them. And so this friend came and she spent a couple of days with us and uh, at the very end, she said, Mary, I need you to look at me because I have something I think God wants you to know. And of course, me and the way that I process life, I'm like, oh, here comes something bad. <laughs> She's going to tell me I'm a terrible mom or whatever. Right. And she just looked me in the eyes and she said, your children know that you love them. Mm. And I I burst into tears because it was like the Lord knew it was a prayer that I hadn't prayed that he was answering, that I needed to be answered. And then a, about a year later, I was sitting on a couch and I, w- I remember looking, it was like 930 at night. I remember looking at the clock. And I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to say, I am a good mother and I want you to say it out loud. And I thought that's dumb and weird and I don't want to, (laughs) because it was just kind of an awkward thing. And. there was no one around. So only the cat would have heard me, but, um, I finally did it. And I, I burst into tears again because I, in saying it out loud, I was able to acknowledge that I was, I was, I was attentive to my children. I loved them. I provided for them. I listened to them. I put band-aids on them. I was a good mom. And, uh, you know, I gave myself finally the grace that I had been withholding from
0: myself for so long. Yeah, I love that. I thank you for sharing that. Cause like I said, I heard that on that podcast and it touched me. It's what I needed to hear. So I know some of our listeners need to hear that because as moms, we feel so inadequate and Jesus was so good to you to let a friend tell you that. And I hope yeah. other moms hear that and know that, um, that they are doing a good job. So Mary, like I said, there's so many things I could talk about with your story, um, but I know we have to wrap up here shortly. I do want to encourage listeners to get on your website because there's so many free things. I mean, not, not because there's so many free things, but there are some free things on there. Um, talking about the re-story, you, if you subscribe to your website in your newsletter, you get access to a book that helps you kind of formulate your own re-story. Is that correct?
1: Yes and um I have a new website now called we2.org and okay. so if you are a sexual abuse survivor on there you can get a 21 day email um of healing so every day you'll get a couple paragraphs of
0: the healing journey and how to do that so okay. that's also another option as well. Okay and that's on the we2.org cuz I saw you mention that on your Facebook page the um, 21 days so they yeah, yeah. go to we org, and tell me where where else you can be found and we'll list that on the show notes as well so I pray for people every single day, according to scripture. So I read a scripture
1: and then I pray for five minutes and that's called, um, the pray every day show. And you can find that at prayeveryday.show dot show, but it's also on Alexa. So you can ask Alexa to, Oh, to, I did not to, know uh, that. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And there's also an app called a pray every day app. And okay. not only would you get a free, um, five minute prayer every day, but, uh, there's also a written, uh, devotional for every day of the year. Okay. And
0: that's free as well. You can get that on iTunes and Google Play that is great I do, like I said I didn't know it and I've been listening to your the prayer podcast and I love it because it is short and it's right you're reading the bible and you can I mean it's just it's good to feel fill our ears and heart with that and then to have you praying for us so and then like you said you have 40 books that are out and we can put links links do you have to links to the 40 no I was saying what, what would be the best way to do that I'm do you have them on your website I'm guessing yeah you can
1: okay. see them on marydemuth.com and the the big one that comes out this year is "We Too: How the Church Can Deal Redemptively with the Sexual Abuse Crisis." That comes out in August. Okay, it's available for pre-sale right now, and um, I'm really excited about that. If you feel like your church, really needs to know how to go about
0: loving sexual abuse victims. So it'd be a great thing to pick up and a good resource. Okay. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is, we get to do several shows on that, just with the church, not speaking up about that and, and it happening in the church. Um, and then your other book, like we talked about thin places, but not marked is another one, um, that could help victims that are of sexual abuse where you share about your healing. Correct correct yes okay well mary we're going to wrap up and i ask if you would if you would end us in prayer um just for the moms listening but also women or men that are listening that have been victims of sexual abuse um because we know the stats of 1 in 3 girls are going to be some sort of victims of some sort of sexual abuse or molestation so it happens and the healing process is long and if you could just pray pray for, pray for us. That would be wonderful. Sure. Happy to. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Um, Thank you that
1: you're big enough to hold our questions and our conundrums about where were you when this happened. Um, You already know the conundrums in our hearts and the questions that we have. So uh, we may as well share them with you and process them with you. Lord, I pray for those who have this same story that I have. Um, I pray for healing. I pray for light to shine in the darkness. And I particularly pray that you would... Tease out the lies that they've believed because of the abuse that they have suffered. Um, Things like, I'm not worthy of affection, or I'm not worthy, period, or I won't amount to anything, or I'll always make bad choices, or some of those lies that we have internalized. I pray you'd set them free even today through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, um, thank you that everybody's healing journey is different. Help us not to compare and contrast our healing journey to somebody else. Um, Thank you that you are with us throughout the whole thing from uh, the first disclosure to our final breath, you will be with us in that journey. Thank you for making beauty from ashes. Thank you for taking what was meant for evil, for good, so that many could be preserved. And Lord, I do pray that the mess that we have had in the past would become the ministry of the future. Mm. And you bring us great joy being part of Kingdom Builders, who uh, in your upside down kingdom help also those people who are struggling and who have gone um, maybe a little bit after us who need to be encouraged and know that they're not alone, that their questions are normal, that this process is long. they don't need to be blamed for not being healed all the way. Lord, thank you for the mantle of ministry that you're going to give every person that's listening today. And I praise you and thank you for going to the cross, taking on sin and shame and infirmity and all of those things so that we could have Um, a wildly beautiful relationship with you. I praise you for that. And I'm utterly grateful and thankful in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you again, Mary. You've been just a blessing to get to talk to today. And I just appreciate you sharing so openly and honestly with us. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Mary's story of child sexual abuse and rape is not an easy one to hear. Unfortunately, statistics show that one in three girls will be the victim of sexual abuse before they turn 18. If you're an adult, please believe a child if they tell you about abuse and report it. As we mentioned in the show, there are signs to look for, and I'll list those on the show notes to Mary's episode at herstoryspeaks.com. If you yourself are the survivor of sexual abuse and looking for healing, I highly encourage you to look at Mary's website for her free resources to start the healing process at marydemuth.com or the show notes to herstoryspeaks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast.